and welcome back. It is time for another episode of Blitz Boys here on the Jack Wagon Sports Network. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, it was a wild week two in college football. We're going to break it all down. Uh, also get you ready for week three of college football. Uh, there's a lot to talk about uh, before we even get to the games that were played. Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about, uh, and we updated you or brought this news to you on Saturday when out of the tunnel, uh, Washington State and Oregon State uh, filed a restraining order against the Pac-12, uh, the 10 teams leaving, and the commissioner, uh, because they want to have a meeting this Wednesday to kind of decide what the future of the conference is going to be, what are we going to do moving forward, and, you know, kind of handle the business for this season as well. Oregon State and Washington State said, no, if you 10 are leaving, you leave, and we, we will handle this. Uh, so they filed the restraining order on Monday. It got approved, uh, so there won't be any meeting right now. It's a huge win for those two schools. Uh, as of right now, they're just kind of processing what their next steps are going to be. Uh, nothing has been announced, but uh, that news has come out, which is huge for them. Uh, your thoughts on that, Sage? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's huge news. I, I hope that it ends in favor of Oregon State and Washington. Uh, I, I think that, it, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to think that either of those schools we're going to just go along with what the rest of the schools that are abandoning the Pac-12 wanted, which, right. like you already explained, is just to basically sell off the farm and hope to just scrounge as much money as they can up before they go to the next conference. Uh, one thing I did want to say is I, I think that it sucks that something so monumental like this has happened. And uh, for the news and stuff that I follow, it seems like it's been overshadowed for the most part by Mel Tucker. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, we're, we're going to talk about Mel here in a second. But, yeah, that, that is sad. And, I mean, shout out to Washington State as well. Mm -hmm. They go out and they beat a ranked Wisconsin team at home. Huge win for them. I watched a little bit of that game. It was one of the same time as the Oregon game. Um, and they interviewed the Washington State athletic director. You know, and he kind of talked to him about the whole process. Uh, again, even as an Oregon fan, I'm still rooting for Washington State and Oregon State to find good homes and be taken care of going forward because they're very deserving programs. I, I can't say this enough. Um, they, they deserve a lot more respect than they are getting from anybody, uh, and this was a huge step for them. Uh, again, it looks like the desired, desired plan for them moving forward from here uh, is if they can, can continue – to control the Pac-12 rights and all this other stuff. Um, their main goal is they want to control the voting rights that the, the Pac-12 gets right now um, because it's labeled as a Power 5 conference uh, that comes with special privileges and voting powers within the NCAA. They want to preserve that. They want to hopefully merge with the Mountain West, you know, rebuild that conference, kind of rebrand it as well, but keep that Power 5 status, keep that voting status moving forward. So uh, if they can do that, that'll be huge for them. Definitely something we will keep you updated on and keep our eye on. Uh, but just wanted to update you that since we first brought it to you on Saturday. Uh, speaking of things that came out on Saturday, this came out Saturday night. Slade had just alluded to it. Mel Tucker uh, finds himself in a little bit of trouble. Currently, right now, he is suspended without pay. Uh, it, there's no timeline on how long the suspension is. Uh, it's an indefinite suspension right now. Nine times out of ten when you get an indefinite suspension – it leads to you being fired. So what happens is, and this is still accusations, they have a lot of evidence for it, but until it's, it's fully proven, um, Mel Tucker brought in a woman by the name of Brenda Tracy. Uh, Brenda Tracy is a sexual assault survivor. Uh, 
uh, and she came in. She spoke to uh, Michigan State, shared her story, um, and you know, was kind of like a beacon of of positivity for the team that Mel Tucker really, you know, enjoyed bringing in and speaking to the team, kind of motivating them and, and opening their eyes to what is is possible and and what not to do. Essentially, is you know, kind of the thought behind doing speeches like this. Um, then it appears. Uh, so the allegations were brought last January, and I'll get into the full timeline here. Um, at some point last year, though, Mel Tucker began calling her, um, sexually harassing her over the phone, even though it was she said multiple times she didn't want it. Um, did prolific acts over the phone, um, you know, talking to her the whole time. Uh, and so she alerted Michigan State's Title IX department uh, and a couple like sub-departments in there that to you know their attention uh from what i've gathered so far what happened from there is they launched an investigation uh they didn't do anything uh, to him at the time they didn't suspend him while the investigation was going on or anything like that uh they allowed him to go out to recruit all this other stuff um brenda tracy wanted this kept private so she didn't want her name out there she just wanted the problem taken care of uh it was supposed to be kept under wraps and apparently the the school board was you know, doing their investigation, came to a decision. Uh, the president had to let the board of trustees know basically what was going on. And, hey, this is what we're going to do going forward. Again, thought at that point it would still be kept private. It appears one of the trustees then leaked that information that was supposed to be kept private. Um, and that's how this whole story has broken. Um, so it's, it's not clear exactly what was going to happen before that. Was it going to be a slap on the wrist? Um, that is, you know, that still remains to be seen what's going to happen here. I don't think he's ever going to coach again. Um, and, you know, he was married. The fact that he did this to a sexual assault survivor is, uh, I, there's, there's not enough words to describe how scummy it is. Uh, but I just want to get your thoughts on the situation. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I, it's crazy to be, the school was paying her to come in and do these, these speeches, these talks, these, these things to, educate people like you had said she was a survivor uh she was sexually assaulted by a division one football athlete mm -hmm. um so she's coming in as a survivor telling them that like these are all the things that you guys think are normal and and funny and okay and and it's not it's not okay it's going to end up with you getting in trouble it's going to cause problems for you and all of the negative things that it's causing for the person that they're doing this to you know um the fact that the school and Mel Tucker are bringing her in for expertise in the situation and, and to guide these players and then doing the exact opposite himself of what she is doing. Uh, I just have to imagine that he was not involved in any of these speeches. <laughs> um, and I mean, the other thing that I, I feel bad for, her, but also I don't know how she thought that this was going to go about and it's shitty in her situation, but I don't think there was any situation where it, this doesn't become public. Yeah. I understand that she wanted it to be private. Uh, she's going to get a shit ton more money in the lawsuit for that being the one thing that she was asking for and that this to be private and them leaking this themselves and, and making this a huge thing. But they're not going to fire, in my opinion, the most overpaid uh, coach in college football right now 
and it just gets swept under the rug that oh no it just wasn't working out like you know I mean, and even I, I with, think... they would have had to suspend him make him sit out some games do without pay i mean i don't think there's any situation that with the way things are now you've got urban meyer you had mm-hmm. joe paterno you I, I mean these things cannot get swept under the rug for the university or you're looking at 10 years with it affecting the entire university. I mean, not just the football team. And so I just think it's crazy that anyone in the situation thought that this was going to amount to a, a, you know, behind closed doors settlement type deal, you know? And and I, I, I think from her standpoint, it's less that she didn't think the, the entire situation would be kept under wraps, especially if he does get fired for mm-hmm. it. I guess more so she just wanted her name kept out of it. Like she you know, she wanted it to be a, like an anonymous reporting almost. And like, hey, Mel Tucker was fired for sexual harassment. And then, you know, here's some details, but we're not going to release the person's name. And then once the report was given to this trustee, the trustee's like, okay, Mel Tucker sexually assaulted this woman, her name over the phone. Uh, I think that's more so like, and, and in her situation, I would be upset at that too. Um, so, but, I mean, it, Mel has also come out and said that. He has proof that that the, for lack of better words, the phone sex and whatever else that was going on, he claims was consensual and that he has proof of that. I don't know how. I mean, I'm sure that that's the first thing that his lawyer and everyone is trying to push out there, you know, to try and save face for him. But I don't know how true that is. But I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like you had said, I honestly don't think that there's any chance he continues coaching. Even if it comes out that it was consensual, I think that it's just too much of an eyesore for the school. And it's an easy way for the school to get rid of the negative debt that they were going to have to pay him over the next however many years. I mean, they still owed him $80 million or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, they would absolutely love to get out of this contract mm-hmm. because, I mean, it hasn't worked out since he got it. No. Um, and it's not going but, to with the reconstruction of the two, the Pac 12 teams coming over. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you look at this from the Michigan State standpoint, you know, they were working very hard to change their image because, uh, you know, they had the whole Larry Nassar situation in the USA Gymnastics. And now this just kind of feels like another step back. You know, they have an interim president right now who's trying to handle all this. And, she, you know, God bless her. Like, she's like, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I, like, I get this is my role, but like, why do I have to be the one to deal with this? Um, so that, not a situation I envy Michigan State being in at all. Uh, you know, the, again, they're, they're trying to repair their image. They're trying to, you know, progress themselves going forward. They had a shooting last fall, uh, last winter. Actually, I think it was, it was in the, it was in the winter, but I think it was, it was you know, 2023 winter, but I can't remember the exact date. Either way, um, you know, the, Michigan State has, has a tough road uphill, and this is just kind of another thing that just got stacked on top of it. I think regardless of, of you know, if it comes out to be true or not, Michigan State just wants this to be done. I, I think they want to fire Mel Tucker regardless. Now they need to have just cause. I mean, if he has enough proof to be like, listen, this I did not do it, and, and so on and so forth, um, they, they can't fire him then because then you know, he can sue, or if they fire him, he, they still have to pay him his money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think Michigan State would really like to just get this over with, do it the right way, uh, but you know, put Mel Tucker behind them, move on, and then you know, continue to try and rebuild from there. Uh, One thing I, I did want to bring up, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but uh, so 
Penn State went through their their uh, Sandusky problem, you know, and it ended up where the school owed um, upwards of like $60 million in uh, payments to the survivors and the people that were affected by all that. Um, Larry Nasser and, and Michigan State, I think it was like $600 million because it was over 100 people that were affected by this. Um, and then they have the money to pay Mel Tucker 80 or $100 million, whatever. I think it was $80 million guaranteed, 100 if it fulfilled the contract or whatever. Um, what kind of funding is going on at Michigan State that, I mean, there's $700 million that's being allotted to two specific things that, I mean, the $600 million, they don't get to choose that, obviously. That is something yeah. that is awarded to the survivors. That's a guaranteed thing. Um, but I, I don't understand where all this money is coming from there when their athletics, aside from, <laughs> aside from men's basketball, sucks. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at just at the football standpoint of it, um, I mean, the $600 million, I, I believe, I mean, I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I wouldn't know. I don't think that would have to be a lump sum. I think they, that, you know, that could be a payment over time. Right. They just raised like, tuition. Yeah. Right. But I mean, Mel Tucker's contract is $95 million over what, 10 years. Mm -hmm. so you you know, got to think that again, that's, that gets divided over 10. The football team alone brings in enough money from the big 10 TV contracts and all that stuff. So a lot of Mel Tucker's contract and that payment stuff comes from that money. Um, and that, you know, that's how they're able to upgrade all these facilities and stuff like that. And that that's where, you know, a lot of that chunk of change is going to come out of. That makes um, more sense. Yeah. Uh, but enough dwelling on the, the, the crappy stuff. Let's look at week two. Um, there was a lot of great games. Again, I, I, I think people were excited for this week. There was a, there was a couple more marquee matchups. Um, we're going to talk about week three here in a minute. Uh, so what was your favorite game uh, from the weekend? Um, so my favorite game, I, I kind of have two. One, because I was at the Penn State game. But the other one, I'm going to go with Ole Miss Tulane just because I thought that it was going to kind of be a really great game. I know that Ole Miss kind of pulled away. Uh, but I just still think that that was the best game in my opinion without going with the, the Texas Alabama game. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. It was a great game regardless between those two teams. I just wish that Michael Pratt would have been healthy and could have played in that mm -hmm. game. I think that would have made that game, you know, that much better. I think, I think Tulane wins that game. I mean, they really controlled Ole Miss for two and a half, almost three full quarters. Uh, and then Ole Miss kind of pulled away there at the end. I think with Michael Pratt, I think that's a shootout back and forth all day. Uh, so that's the you know the one thing that kind of sucked about that matchup. But the fact that Ole Miss was, or excuse me Tulane was still able to hang with Ole Miss on that level and play you know up to Ole Miss's capabilities was amazing to see. Um, you know they're going to be all but eliminated from you know playoff contention and all that stuff. But uh, I, I agree with you. I think that was one of the best games. And then uh, you know we had Oregon and Texas Tech. Who tried to put me into a freaking coma. But um, let's go ahead and look at the 12 games that we covered on Saturday morning. Um, first one up we have here is Notre Dame at NC State. I was kind of disappointed I didn't get to go to this game at first. And then there was an hour, of, like over two hours, actually, I think, yeah. weather delay because of lightning. And I was like, yeah, you know what? It's not that bad. <laughs> um, come, come out of the weather delay. Notre Dame could not, before, Notre Dame could not get the ball moving. They have three points. I think they have like 50 total yards uh, through a quarter and a half. They come out of the weather delay, and they just run it. That first play was a 75-yard touchdown. 
Um, <laughs> so Notre Dame got their offense going. NC State hung around until like middle of the fourth quarter uh, before Notre Dame got a couple big stops and then you know kind of put the punctuation on this game. I know you were at the Delaware uh, Penn State game, uh, but I don't know if you got saw any highlights. Any thoughts from this game? Yeah, no, I, I did not see any highlights from this game. Obviously, the score makes it seem as if Notre Dame blew this game out of the water, but like you had explained, I mean, this was a lot closer than that. And and Notre Dame definitely got tested there in the first quarter and a half-ish, you know, uh, first 20 minutes of the game. So I, I'm interested to see how – I'm I'm really anxious to see how they stack up against Ohio State here eventually, you know, because mm. I thought that – the way Ohio State was playing the last couple of weeks, Notre Dame was playing phenomenal. I'm like, oh, wow, Notre Dame might win this by, I don't know, 10 points, you know? And now I'm like, oh, okay, maybe it might be a lot closer than 10 points. I don't know. You know, it's it's really making me wonder. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing I think that is kind of on Ohio State's side when you look at Notre Dame playing so far is, yes, Notre Dame just beat what I would call a pretty good NC State team. I don't think mm-hmm. NC State's on the level of what Ohio State is. No. Um but if you look at Notre Dame the first two weeks before this, is it was what appears to be a pretty bad Navy team, and they played an FCS school. Um, Ohio State played a conference opponent in Indiana in week one, um, and then an FCS school this week. Again, they did struggle early in that game, but then they, they got their offense rolling, and they looked much better as the game went on. Um, I, I, I still think Notre Dame and Ohio State is going to be a ridiculously good game next week. Uh, that's going to be a ton of fun uh, to watch. Just because of who Notre Dame played, I don't want to sit here and say Notre Dame should be favored by you know ten points or anything like that. Right, right. Because right. um, I Ohio State's going to come out and make it a dog fight no matter what the spread is. So correct. Um, it's going to be a fun game next week. Uh, next game we had, we thought this could be a little bit closer. Kansas State struggled with a and uh, 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 they struggled with Tulane last year. It was an American team, but a Group of Five school. Uh, they played Troy, the defending Sun Belt champion. They mopped the floor with them. It, it wasn't close at all at, at any point. Uh, Kansas State wins that game 42-13. to 13. Not much to say other than that. The next game we're going to look at was Purdue going to Virginia Tech. We said there was a weather delay in the Notre Dame-NC State game. This game kicked off at noon. Uh, I think they played maybe the first quarter. I don't th- not even the full first quarter. Um, and then it finally restarted when the 7 o'clock games were kicking off. There, there was that long of a weather delay. Uh, so, I mean, I feel bad for, you know, both of these teams that they had to, to sit through all that. It, it ended up being a fantastic game, seven-point game here. Uh, I was able to check in on it every once in a while. Uh, it did suck. It got t- taken off in national TV. Um, <laughs> the videos, though, coming out of the Virginia Tech fans basically in, in muddy fields just playing in the downpouring rain was, it was fun to watch. Um, but great game there. You know, started as a day game, ended up becoming a night game. Night game at Lane Stadium is always a ton of fun. Quick question. Yeah. As as a coach, what what do you think you do for six hours? I don't, so my senior year, no, junior year, we played at Susquehanna. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got there, and, like, literally as the bus pulls in, it's, it, it's downpouring and there's lightning. And so they're like, okay, 30-minute delay. And so, you know, we get dressed and everything, and we're sitting there. Uh, it looked like it was going to start clearing up, and then out of nowhere, it just starts again. And I was like, we're going home. Like, we're going to go home. We're just going to come back tomorrow and play the game tomorrow. And they're sitting there like, no, we're still going to play tonight. I was like, all right. I think we sat in a locker room for, like, two hours. And, like, 
we we hadn't done anything yet though. Like we haven't even warmed up. But at that point, like there's no food for us to eat. Like we're starving, and it's like, all right, like this is getting ridiculous. I I remember sitting, and I'm pretty sure we we were in the girls' locker room, in girls' locker. Like it didn't smell bad, but it had like a weird smell to it. And I'm sure girls would say the same thing about a guys' locker room, mm-hmm. but it just had like kind of like a weird smell to it. And you're sitting there, and you're just like, this is annoying. And then I remember we went out, we finally played the game, and then out of nowhere, like a huge fog bank came through, and I was like, this is weird. Um, so I mean, I sat there for two hours. And it was, I, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't imagine doing six hours. I mean, I guess, the, so I know in, in the Notre Dame-NC State game when they had the delay, Notre Dame ran out of food. They just went up and they bought like a ton of hot dogs and hamburgers and brats. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I would assume Purdue probably did the same thing. Yeah. I, I would honestly wouldn't be surprised with how long that delay was if, you know, they got something catered in. Uh, yeah, you know, but look, you know, what point do you go for a second meal? <laughs> yeah, you already uh, ate breakfast before the game. Now you ate lunch, right? I mean, maybe forty-five minutes into the intermission, yeah. and then you get like five hours more in, and you're like, uh, maybe we should order dinner, guys. <laughs> and I mean, the, the hard thing too is, as an athlete, like you get yourself amped up for this game, mm-hmm. and it's one thing to have a weather delay. I feel like it's easy to come back from. Like, I would say anything less than two hours, it's easy to to pick yourself back up and like. But you know, sitting there for five, six hours, it's like a lot of energy. Like, damn, what what am I gonna do now? Now you gotta, you know, re energize your whole system. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't. If it's six hours, I don't know what kind of facilities Purdue was given. Um, I don't know if they just stayed in the stadium. Uh, but if I was in that situation, there'd be a lot of film. <laughs> Listen, yeah, I guess so. We we had the opportunity, and especially by that point, you would have, hey, here's what what's happened so far in this game. Here's what we can. It, it's almost like a, like a halftime, mm. times five. You know, you get you get to sit there work on your adjustments a little bit more. But and God bless those kids. God bless the fans that, especially mm. you know, Purdue to Purdue parents and fans or whatever that traveled to that game. They're like you know, we got to stick this out. Um, so, I mean, God bless them. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do six <laughs> hours. I think after like two hours, I would have been like, all right, I'm going home. I'm I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, next game we're going to look at is Nebraska at Colorado. This this game could have been so much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I know you didn't get to watch much of it because you were at the Penn State game during it. Jeffson, I like I I have two years of eligibility left in college football. I wholeheartedly believe I could show up to Nebraska today, try out for quarterback, and I could start over Jeffson. <laughs> like you, you have to be so inept to not be able to do simple handoffs. That and he he can't catch the snap. I mean, his interceptions that he's through, we talked about this on Saturday before the game. And I said, you know, Nebraska can absolutely hang around in this game. They have the defense to do it, but it's going to come down to it, what Jeff Sims can do. Um, his his throws are absolutely horrible. Nebraska's defense held uh, Colorado. I, I think it was, I want to say it was 0-0 at the end of the first quarter. If not, it was 3 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Nebraska's defense weathered the storm, but when you have to go through long, grueling drives like Colorado was putting them through, especially with the speed Colorado had. You know, they, they, could, they could stretch out Nebraska. You know, they, they were getting some decent yardage, and then Nebraska would, would get backed up, but then they, they would they would make a big stop. Um, and when you go through long drives like that on defense, your offense goes out, and they either fumble in the first play or it's a three and out, and you got to go right back out there. There's only so many times you can do that before you get tired and, you know, Colorado doesn't have depth, and that's what our concern is with them going forward. But they don't need depth if they can just send Travis Hunter on a go route 
And, you know, he's going to get covered the first six times. But once that cornerback is tired of covering him and not getting a break on the sideline, sooner or later, you know, it, it's going to break free some plays. And that's eventually what happened. Nebraska or Colorado was able to just pull away. Um, Nebraska needs to figure something out at quarterback. Like, there's there's no other way around it. That I, Matt Rule really wanted Jeff Sims. He, he went after him in the transfer portal. He, he mm-hmm. tabbed him. That was his guy. He wasn't good at Georgia Tech. Like he he showed nothing at Georgia Tech. There was no promise, and I don't know if it was just believing that he was in such a terrible situation down there. And you know we know Georgia Tech wasn't really any good, but they're they're thinking, okay, this is him around two star athletes. Let's see him around four and five star athletes. Right. Um, I mean, I'm really curious to see where Nebraska. You know, not even just this season, but you know, looking at at the off season, I don't think they have like a big name quarterback yet um i mean they they need to do something in the transfer portal this 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 winter regardless they need to get a new quarterback in there um but yeah that nebraska's defense could easily be one of the best in the country um and the fact that jeff sims is going out there and and playing like an absolute dumbass it it, i again i I was kind of cheering for nebraska because my father-in-law is a huge but he's a nebraska alum and a fan i i don't know how nebraska fans watch football anymore like i i gen watching them play the last few seasons i i could not turn on the tv to watch i i'm a bears fan i i can't watch the bears anymore on tv because i just want to shove my face through a cinder block wall and i I don't know how nebraska fans do this year in and year out um but we'll have to wait and see you know about what 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 happens so question that i had for you so i had kind of seen two sides of the story here uh supposedly there was a big deal about how uh, uh, Sanders, QB, and his dad uh, both had said that, like, this is uh, personal. Like, there was maybe some words said before the game or, or during during the week leading up to it. Um, and when they had asked Matt Rule about that, he had made the comment that before every game they pray that both teams come out unscathed. You know, it doesn't matter who you believe in. Everybody prays if you're into religion, you know. And so he – and then he had also said that they were, both teams were told to exit the field right away, that there was not going to be a coach handshake. And he said that he didn't care if he, you know, got mobbed by a bunch of fans, that he was shaking the hand. It's part of respect, blah, blah, blah. Um, it just kind of seemed like there was, there was two sides of the story. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that or if it was like two separate things happening and they were kind of grouping them together uh, it, it, or if this is just – I mean, Colorado is bringing in so much money just off of, you know, the wow factor, making sure that they're in the headlines nonstop. I mean, I think they said that so far in single game tickets, they've sold half a million dollars just since uh, the start of the season. So just what was your thoughts on the the controversy there between where it's going back and forth? Uh, So I know before the game, they were talking about how it's personal. Um, And that came from, I guess, in the offseason, Matt Rule had made some comments. I don't. I don't remember exactly what the comments were. Um, I don't think they were super, obviously they weren't racist or anything. Yeah. I don't want to go to that, but um, kind of put down coach prime. And, you know, from there, obviously his son is going to take that very personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the, you know, the it's personal comments were coming from okay. um, as far as, you know, you know, saying the prayer and, and coaches handshakes and all that stuff. Um, I, I, I you know, as a coach, I, I obviously would want to go shake the other coach's hands. I also understand that Nebraska or Colorado fans just absolutely storm the field. 
mm-hmm. before. I don't even I don't know if they got a chance to or not. Um, but they did shake hands, but it was like kind of in the end zone as they they had security kind of help him find Coach Prime. But I, I it seemed as if uh, Matt Rule was told that there wasn't going to be a, a middle of the field meeting that they were just going to try and get the, the athletes and the coaches off the field as soon as possible, just for their safety. And Matt rule had gone against that, but I don't think it was really uh, relayed over to Colorado because they basically like beelined trying to chase coach prime down as he's like running from the one side towards the end zone. So he could do his quick uh, interview and then head in. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a rivalry I think should be brought, brought back full time. I think Nebraska should go back to the Big 12. I think they're really struggling recruiting in the Big 10, trying to draw kids there over, you know, head to head against uh, Ohio State, Michigan, schools like that. And now you're going to bring in Oregon, USC, so on and so forth into the mix. Uh, Nebraska in Nebraska was so good at football when. They were tied to the Big 12. They could tap into Texas recruiting pipeline and all that other stuff. Whereas now they've kind of lost that connection a little bit. Um, and I've said this before. I, Nebraska would be so much better served in the Big 12, and I think they need to go back to it. Um, but, I mean, if they did that, this this rivalry would be back full time. And I mm-hmm. think college football needs this. Uh, people kept talking about how this was a rivalry game on Saturday and all this other. It didn't have the feel anymore. Because you know they haven't played in so long, they don't play every year, um, and so much change has gone on at both schools. Uh, because you know they, they've Nebraska's and Colorado. You know before Coach Prime got to Colorado, don't forget they sucked. Like I think they 111. had like, three winning seasons in, in the past like fifteen years. Maybe, you know maybe not quite that long, but um, they, they've been terrible. And, and Nebraska has definitely you know had its rough stretches. They've had. God knows how many coaches since you know uh, Bob Os- or Tom Osborne left, um, and and so just the identity of these schools has changed so much. It didn't feel like a rivalry game anymore, and that's what sucks about conference realignment. And also is you know we are losing so many of these rivalries, um, but you know this is one that should still be around because both schools should have never left the the, the Big Twelve. Uh, you know as soon as Colorado left, I think they made one conference championship game. I think they played USC. And USC mopped the floor with them. Um, I think Nebraska's made two. I know they definitely made one, but I believe they may have made two Big Ten championship games. They didn't win either of them. Um, and, you know, they, they've continually and steadily declined. Uh, so these are two, you know, Colorado's desperate. I don't. I shouldn't say desperate to get back to the, the Big 12 just because so far it, it, things are going pretty well this season. Uh, I think things are going to explode for them once they get there because – one, the competition, but two, again, it, it opens better recruiting pipelines, I think, for Colorado over what they get in the Pac-12 right now. Um, and that's what Nebraska is missing right now. And, and they're not going to have to – if they did that, again, you're recruiting head-to-head with Colorado. Uh, and, again, there are good Big 12 schools, but not to the caliber of recruiting that Michigan, Ohio State, and schools like Penn State are. Um, and I think those are Nebraska's biggest problem. Colorado kind of got fixed by having Coach Prime. He can, you know, attract any kid to come there because they want to go play for a coach like that. Um, moving on, though, I think we spent enough time on that game. Uh, let's look at Texas A&M and Miami. Texas A&M should have won this game. Uh, mm-hmm. They definitely had the team to do it. Um, and then Miami gets a big kick return, 
and it sparks them ahead. They get they get a huge push. Um, I just want to go on the record and say I said repeatedly, I'm not buying the Texas A&M hype. I'm not going to believe it. I did have them pick to beat Miami just because I didn't think Miami was any good either. Um, but I just I was right. Texas A&M still sucks. <laughs> Jimbo Fisher still sucks. Um, but your thoughts on this game, Slade? Yeah, I was very surprised, honestly. I, I agree with you that um, Texas A&M doesn't seem like they're going to be able to pull it together. I mean, Jimbo Fisher came there. They've had a uh, top three recruiting class how many years now? And it's just they're playing with all those that, that number one recruiting class players now. And it's just crazy to see that they're unable to to get the job done. I mean, they they should have easily beaten Miami with how Miami has started the season off so far. And at, at least by, I don't know, 10, 14 points. But it just seems like somehow they have a way, like you had said, momentum. As soon as the other team gets any sort of momentum, they're just done. Yeah. And it's just crazy to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still don't have much hype behind Miami. I mean, this is a huge win for them. Um, but... I don't believe in Mario Cristobal's system just because I've seen it for so many years at Oregon. Um, I think he'll get more and more decent recruits in there. I think Miami will be become you know like a, a B tier ACC team, uh, but I don't ever see them getting to a national championship caliber just because of what their head coach is uh, and what I had to experience for how many years at Oregon. But um, next game we got is Iowa at Iowa State, the Cyhawk Trophy. So much BS happened in this game. Um, Iowa, again, fails to get to 25 points in a game. Uh, they're falling behind their 25 points per game address. There's no way, and I, I, I said this in our TikTok when I made the quick hits after the 3-3 games were over. There's no way Brian Ferentz or Matt Campbell are rehired next year unless a miracle happens. Um, mm-hmm. Even if Brian Ferentz somehow got to his 25 points per game quota, I would not want him back. Uh, he is so many elite offensive weapons on his side right now, and he can't put up twenty more than 20 points against what I think is a terrible Iowa State team. Um, I think Matt Campbell deserves to be fired because in his postgame press conference, rather than being, you know, like, hey, we lost and, you know, we, we need to put more effort in, common cliches. This man gets up on the podium and goes, this is, you know, we, we haven't won a, this game since I've been here, but this is the best we looked in this game. You look like shit. How 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 is this the best that you looked? And oh my, like watching his press conference, it, it, this is Matt Campbell and Mel Tucker. Uh, Justin Wilcox was was another coach. Tom Allen as well. Four coaches right there, who had amazing COVID years, and they looked so good in twenty twenty. Uh, and since then, Justin Wilcox is the only one that's somewhat turned it around this season. He's one and one, but he looked good against an SEC team. Um, Matt Campbell, uh, uh, Mel Tucker drama aside, his coaching, he has not looked good the last two years. Um, you look at Tom Allen, ever since they they didn't even make it to the Big Ten Championship that year in, in 2020. He had he went 6-2, and two, I believe. Uh, I don't think they've won more than three games in the last two years combined. Maybe it was four. Regardless, um, so many people put stock into what happened in the COVID year, forgetting how much BS was going on how many players are sitting out and all this other stuff. Oregon won a Pac-12 championship, and I think they won three games before that, four games maybe. Um, it's just it, the, the amount of hype 
that went into these coaches in that season just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, it was it's frustrating to watch, but um, yeah, like I said, I think those two guys are definitely getting fired. One thing I wanted to add to this is we cannot ju- judge Iowa or Iowa State on this game strictly because this was for sure a setup thing that the the betting agencies and everything were looking to see how many bets were placed in the state on what things. And this was definitely a sting operation. <laughs> I mean, you've got Iowa who needs to score 25 points a game to keep a coach. Can't do it. I mean, they've got multiple games. I mean, they're going to have to put up 60 against Northwestern just to, and, and just to like have a chance, you know? I mean, they still have to play Michigan State. They still have to play Nebraska, who has a really good defense. Um, they still have to play Penn State. Uh, I mean, it's it's going to be very hard if they're not going out against these teams that they could realistically, you know, I, I don't understand it. I, I do not understand it at all. But I do think it's ridiculous, like you had said, that they can't get to the 25-point quota against what seems like a lackluster Iowa State. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at Iowa's next three weeks, so they play Western Michigan this week, and then they have Which Penn I would State. like to say – the oh, fact yeah. that they have not scored 25 points and the spread is 28 and a half against Western Michigan is ridiculous to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you saw the the out of the title rundown, but my, my cash out pick, yeah, is Western Michigan yeah. plus 28 and a half. Yeah, um, yeah, I liked it. But yeah, then they traveled to Penn State for the whiteout game. Mm-hmm. I mean, no disrespect to Iowa, and again, they have a very ser- serviceable team. <laughs> I don't see any way that they they stay within. 20 points in that game just because their offense can't score. I don't think that – I think maybe two teams have scored 20 points in a whiteout game against Penn State in the last 10 games. I mean, it's always like 19-16 or 21-19. to Like, it's yeah. always right at the 20-point mark. I don't know. And this is always Michigan or Ohio State. This isn't Iowa. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and I want to go back to, to this game real quick. I completely – I get that this is this is a hard fought rivalry. This is is two teams that that do have pretty good defenses, and, and I get that it's it's difficult to score in these games, and it it's I I, I understand it's a rivalry game, and, and that takes precedent above all else. You can't tell me these two coaches, especially the offensive coaches, who see the same damn thing every year, can't figure out something else to do to try and move the ball. Um, watching these two teams play each other, it's like bashing your head into a cinder block wall. I said this earlier. It, I, I don't want to watch this football game anymore. Like, I've watched this the last mm-hmm. how many years? And it's every year, it's the same damn thing. And it's always a stupid turnover that cost the team. I think it was three or four years ago. Iowa State's winning. They have the game won. They just need to feel the punt cleanly. And the their, their, their gunner literally just tackles the returner in, like, mid-fair catch. And then they fumble the ball, and, and they lose the game. Um this, this game is just always filled with stupid stuff, and their offense is I, One thing I wanted to add also is that I, if I'm Iowa and there is this point thing that they're trying to get to and everything, if you have not scored 10 points by the, I don't know, five minutes into the second quarter, you need to be going to that last play, page in the playbook. Like the stuff that you would – the plays you would run if you were down 20 points. I, I don't know what needs to happen here, but I mean – they're playing the same Iowa offense that they've been playing. And like you said, their defense is going to keep them in games, but they, they need to do something different. I don't know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, the next six games we looked at, um, 
one of them turned out to be a lot better than we expected. We talked about the Saturday morning. I said point blank. App State doesn't have the same team they have last year. UNC looked so good in week one. There's no way App State keeps this close. It went to double overtime. Of course it did. Uh, game of the year candidate already. This is our game. Like we, you know, we give out our awards every week. This was the game of the week. Um, your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, it was a great game. I did not think that they would be able to kind of even get close to replicating that wow factor from last year. And they, they definitely did a great job in this game. It was it was great to watch both sides of the ball. Absolutely. Um, going from this game, I, I have a lot of concerns about UNC now. Because, mm. one, how bad does that make South Carolina look? And I, I think this should be treated like a rivalry game. I think these two teams should play every year. I know North Carolina is excited because they don't have to play out state anymore. I think they need to continue this game every year. Um, but I, I am definitely concerned about UNC's continuity going forward and, and how well they can look from week to week. Uh, they, ha- they have a very tough Minnesota team this week coming to town. Uh, that, that's not going to be an easy game for them. Uh, so, you know, UNC, who I think got a lot of praise coming out of week one because expectations were here and they played here. Well, now, once you do that, expectations were up here. You know, maybe this team can compete for the ACC, especially with how bad Clemson looked in week one. And now you go out there. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to disrespect App State. App State is a very good football team. I think they just propelled themselves into the conversation, especially with how Troy played as Sunbelt favorites now. Um, and, and so, but if I'm UNC looking at this, it's, okay, are, are we really this good? Can we compete with Clemson, Florida State, schools like that? Um, so it, it plenty of, of questions still surround that UNC football team. Um, I forgot to replace the Kansas State logo with the Texas Tech logo. Uh, Oregon beat Texas Tech 38 to 30. Uh, I'll talk about this game because I, I swear I, I couldn't feel my heart for about 45 minutes after the game. Um, I, I knew I hate Oregon Twitter because I'm, I'm deeply involved in it because obviously I follow a bunch of Oregon pages. The amount of shit you were talking before the game, I knew instantly. I was like, this game is not going to go well. Just from the amount of trash you're talking, one guy tweeted. Um, I'll, I'll find the tweet here, and I'll come back to it. But uh, I was, I knew instantly. And, and again, I, I said before the season, Texas Tech was my pick to win the Big 12. The way they played Saturday, they, they still are. I, I, I understand Texas looks good. I'm not trying to talk trash on them. But I, I think Texas Tech is a very good team. Coach McGuire is a very good coach, but um, let me find. so here, here's a tweet. Uh, I'm unclear as to why so many Oregon Duck fans are nervous about this Tech game today. Uh, Texas Tech is a good team, but unless Oregon turns the ball over a lot, they won't lose. And I was like, I'm sorry, have you never watched an Oregon football game before? Because I've watched <laughs> this team since eighth, seventh grade. I've been a diehard Ducks fan since seventh grade. And I was like, yeah, um, I have watched this team play before, go up against teams that they should blow up by 60, and then they, you know, it goes to double overtime. Uh, I think of Stanford two years ago. Stanford, I think, won three, two games. One of those games was Oregon because of, of bullshit calls. Um, I just knew from, from that moment on this was going to be a tight game. Oregon didn't play bad either. Bo Nix, I, I don't think we had any turnovers uh, outside no. of you know, failed fourth-down conversions. Um, One thing I did want to mention quick mm-hmm. – uh, 38 to 30, 20 of those points scored in the fourth quarter for Oregon. Yeah. Um, the fact that this game is eight point spread and uh, Texas Tech's quarterback threw three interceptions, 
is just pitiful to me. I mean, it really makes me think that, uh, I mean, you know, obviously at the beginning of the season, I was just trying to pick someone else uh, than the favorites, but it really makes me think that Oregon State has the chance at beating Oregon oh. in no, the regular they, season. No, and, they they and 100% do, yeah. Because it, it, it really scared me that, I mean, they got three turnovers and it, it didn't really amount to them being able to capitalize all three times, you know? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. It's, it seems like their offense runs on sparks. I mean, they scored 15 in the first quarter, then only three points in the second quarter, then zero in the third quarter, and then they followed up with 20-point spark to end the game. And what, what, what I'll chalk that up to, and I'm not pushing the panic button yet. I mean, they obviously And one of it. those touchdowns, that, that last touchdown, sorry, was with 35 seconds left. It, and it was a pick six. It wasn't even the yeah. Um, Which also – and I, and I get in that moment, you're just excited and you see green grass in front of you. I'm just going to run it in. I just wish the dude wouldn't went down because then I, yeah. I still had, I thought it was over. And then I'm like, shit, there's 35 seconds left. And then Texas Tech starts moving the ball. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And then they get in well, the Mary range. Still, for everyone that had Oregon at minus six and a half, they oh, love that. He super exciting. Yeah. And, and I get that. For <laughs> us that doubled that and got a little, got a little eager and put it at 13 and a half, we were not happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That uh, I just wish it would have went down. Would have saved me like a, a couple of short sure. beats there. Regardless, um, but go, going back to Oregon's offense, you could tell the offense coordinator is still trying to find his groove, mm-hmm. find his identity. Um, I mean, obviously he looked so good against Portland State, and so the whole offense did. Um, but here it's it's okay. Like what, what's working in dealing with the ebbs and flows of the game. Um, I think. We'll be fine going forward. I mean, it doesn't help that we have difficult tests coming up. Uh, Colorado at home, uh, and, you know, there, it's a Pac-12. There's no easy weeks. I'm not going to treat it like it is. But um, I think with more experience, and I think at the end of the day as well, Bo Nix wasn't going to let that team lose. I mean, a lot of people were frustrated with his play. I thought he played fine. Um, we we ran the same run play. I think like 30 times throughout the game. It was a little just. Bo Nix caught it and just pitched it straight out to the running back, kind of like a buck sweep. Uh, and it worked for the most part. But at some point when, you know, you line up in a third and fourth and one situation, uh, and they know what's coming. And, and that's sure enough, by the end of the game, they had figured that out and they were stuffing it. Um, so I, I, he, he needs more time. And I know he's an experienced coach. Um, he came over, I believe, UTSA. I, I want to say he was where he came from last year. Um, but... I'm not, I'm not pushing the panic button yet. I don't want to freak out. Uh, hopefully, you know, Hawaii presents a little bit of a challenge where we have to go through kind of the same situations and work through it. Um, but again, it, it could have gone so much worse. <laughs> and, and especially there in the third quarter when Texas Tech really turned the tide on us uh, and it looked like they were going to start pulling away with that game, I got concerned. And, you know, Oregon bunkered, you know, bunkered down and they, they got their offense going. Um, and they put the points on the board, and they win the game. So I'll take it. Uh, next game we had was SMU at Oklahoma. It says 28-11, to 11, but I promise you it was a lot closer than that. Mm-hmm. It was 14-11 uh, to 11 in the middle of the third quarter. Oklahoma got a big touchdown, uh, and then they attacked on another one late. I said SMU was going to keep this game close. They did. They, I, they kept it closer than I thought they would, and not just the fact that, you know, it was 20 to 11. The fact that they held Oklahoma to 28 points coming off a week where they scored 73. Um, I mean, SMU's defense is legit. I think they are contending to win the American. I th- my two favorite teams in the American right now 
I would put Tulane and SMU. I think they both look really, really good, especially the, the teams they played this week. Um, your thoughts on these two? Yeah, uh, so I, I just, you know, you look at the stats and it's like, dang, Oklahoma – QB 19 to 27 for 180 yards and four touchdowns. The running back 21 carries for 120 yards. The receiver seven receptions for 80 yards and a touchdown. It's like, oh, wow. The other team stats are like half that for all their stuff. This, this should be close at all. And then you're like, oh, wow. Uh, it, it was a defensive game for sure. Uh, both defenses definitely came to play, it seems. And it, it kind of worried me a little bit for my pick and thinking that the winner of Oklahoma, Texas – is like a sure thing to be in the Big 12 championship. Uh, I just think that it's not what I expected for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm still excited to see that Texas-Oklahoma game in a few weeks. Uh, I still think – I think the winner of that game essentially locks themselves into the Big 12 title game. Um, I mean, obviously, there, we just said this about the Pac-12. I don't think there's any easy roads in the Big 12 as well. Um, I, I – I know this is a, a changed Texas team uh, and, a, you know, supposedly a changed Oklahoma team, but these teams both find dumb ways to lose to teams they shouldn't. Or, you know, they, they're going to play – I think they both play Texas Tech this year. Um, and they play – both play Kansas State. Kansas State's a team that can trip them both up. I could honestly see, like, Oklahoma going out and losing to, like, an Iowa State one week or something like that. Um, that just seems to kind of be – you know, we used to call it Clemsoning, you know, going out and losing – I, I can see one of the teams pulling that. Um, speaking of Texas and Alabama, Slate, I'll let you talk all about this one. I mean, I, I slept through the entire game, but I woke up, was very happy. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian became the first coach under Nick Saban to then coach a team to a win, a double-digit win at Alabama's field. Uh, he was the first coach to hand Nick Saban a loss at home and double digit after being a uh, assistant coach underneath him. I, I think that Quinn played a near perfect game in my opinion. And I think that it really makes you wonder what would have gone down last year had he been able to be healthy, you know, even more now we had talked about it before the right. game, obviously, but I mean, it, it, both teams were very close. And then all of a sudden bang, a 35 yard, uh, touchdown passing touchdown you know uh mm -hmm. it was it was crazy to see i thought it was awesome to see uh i think it was pat mccaffey uh eli manning and uh someone else that were on the sidelines when uh Al when alabama threw their like four yard through the air passing touchdown and it was towards the end of the game there and it was just crazy to see all the different camera angles all the buzz that was going on there it was it was really great to see i mean i didn't get to see the game itself but i got to see a lot of the the replays and you know the videos and stuff and i just thought that it it was a great environment it seemed like it was nothing but respect between the two coaches afterwards yeah absolutely i, I so i i was flipping back and forth between this and the oregon game and what i'll say concerns me about texas the most coming out of this game is through i would say almost the entire third quarter their play calling really concerned me um they went forward on a, a fourth and one. They ran a really dumb play. And luckily, like, the ball fumbled. The running back picked it up and ran for the first down. Um, just really questionable play calling. Quinn absolutely had flashes of, of showing that, you know, if Texas can be undefeated, 
uh, he can be in the Heisman conversation. I think that's what's going to take this year, uh, just with the way Caleb Williams is playing. Uh, he he's putting up video game numbers every week, and he looks. Did you see this on film? What's the, la- the last quarterback to beat uh, Nick Saban at home was uh, Joe Burrow, who went on to win the Heisman oh. Trophy. <laughs> and so, it's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, um, but uh, he, he he definitely still has room to grow. And I mean, I, that's every quarterback. Uh, Alabama threw all they could at him, and he weathered the storm. He came through in the fourth quarter with with a lot of big plays, uh, and they put the game away. Um, looking at Alabama, I think a lot of people are pushing the panic button, saying the dynasty's over. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not saying the dynasty's over. They, they absolutely have their problems. And I think the biggest thing that hurts Alabama is when they became so good and they started this long run of dominance is the, the transfer portal wasn't really a thing. And people are saying Nick Saban needs to tap into the transfer portal more. I don't, I don't think he can. Because what he does is he recruits the hell out of these four- and five-star recruits. He, he brings in the top recruiting classes every year. And what used to happen is he would have two deep five-star recruits. And then, you know, they, they couldn't transfer. They would sit there. They would develop. But they would just be stacked throughout the whole roster. They put out their second team when they're up 50 to nothing. And they put up another 50 because they're so good. Um, whereas now... He still brings in those kids, but they sit there for the year, and they're like, well, I don't have to sit on the bench here. I can go play somewhere else. And that's what's kind of leveled the playing field across college football. Um, but, again, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say dynasty's over or anything like that. I think that absolutely, they, they have problems. And, and I think the biggest one is, and we're going to talk about this on Saturday, their offensive coordinator's a moron. I don't know why they thought hiring Tommy Reese from Notre Dame was a good idea. And, you know, a lot of people are pointing the finger at Jalen Milrose saying he's not good. He got recruited to play football at Alabama. He's, he's fine. And, and I get he's not, you know, not, not a Heisman candidate contender or anything like that. Um, but who are you going to put? Are you going to put Tyler Buckner in? The guy that lost to Marshall for Notre Dame last year? Like, he doesn't want to play, supposedly. He's supposedly I, there. I wouldn't want to, him to play. To, to be a developmental player, to help out with the team and everything. I, I don't, I don't understand it. That's, that's what I've seen in multiple reports that when he had lost the position, that there was no ill will, that he's ready to stick, like he's ready to, you know, root the team on and, and help out. Uh, I also think that, like you had said, uh, before he was able to have two deep five-star recruits. I mean, he's having the problem that it used to be you come to Alabama, it doesn't matter what where you are in the depth chart. You're going to see playing time. You're going to win a national championship if you play for three. If you come and are on the team for three years, you're going to win at least one national championship. Then, all of a sudden, Clemson won one year. Clemson starts pulling some of those South recruits out. Now Georgia's pulling South recruits out. So, and then Texas A&M one year took basically every everyone in the pool, everyone in the pool of of five star guys. So yeah. it's like, uh, or Texas, well, and, I don't know if I said Texas. Sorry, uh, but I, I mean I agree with you in that it's. It's much harder to recruit people to your school now when, like you said, you don't have to wait a year. You don't have to waste a year. Yeah. I, I think – and I think Georgia is, is – and honestly, I mean, they haven't looked great this year. Maybe it's affecting them this year. But what Georgia pulls in – and I think they're going through the same thing right now. They're pulling in ridiculous five-star recruits, but so many of them are transferring out after one year because they just want to go, give me, give me my national championship ring, and then, hey, I'm going to go play somewhere else. Maybe I can win one there, but I like guarantee me one now. I'm going to go win one for Georgia. I don't care if I'm the third string. I'm just going to go play. 
I sit on the bench, whatever, get my ring, and then I'm out. And I, I think that's causing a lot of depth depth issues for Georgia. Um, you know, no disrespect to Carson Beck, but they don't have a, a stellar quarterback right now. Uh, I think that's a huge problem. But, I mean, we'll have to wait and see with Georgia because, I mean, at least they're still number one. They're still winning their games. They have their first kind of test this week with South Carolina. Um, but we'll wait and see. But I, I just want I, – I am not jumping on that train that dynasty is over at Alabama. I'm not going to say that. I mean, the next- they were – they were winning the game with 15 minutes left. That's, yeah. that's what people aren't. I mean, Texas threw two uh, um, amazing passes there in the fourth quarter to score 14 points. I mean, they scored 20 in the fourth quarter. And, and I mean, it's Al- Alabama was winning the game 16, yeah. 13 until Alabama starts losing three or four games a year. There, there's still a, th- especially with the 12 team format coming out, there's absolutely still a threat when national and, and last year, the whole everyone was like, "Oh, we need to pull the plug on say it's time the dynasty's over." And then people are like, "Oh, he lost three games by a combined four points." Yeah. So like it's, it's, it's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at his two losses last year. One was to a Tennessee in a, in a huge in a back and forth shootout, mm-hmm. last second field goal, and then they lose on a two point conversion in overtime to LSU. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of people are overreacting. Is Alabama to the level that they were before? No, because you know again. I think the transfer portals that they're not going out there and blowing everybody out 60 to nothing. You know, wide receivers are not there having rock, paper, scissor on who's going to run the go route and, and get the touchdown ball. Um, but yeah, I'm, the dynasty is not dead. I, I I won't say that until, like I said, Saban's losing four games. He a year is going to run the new playoff format. Yeah. I, I, they're going to coast. They're going to coast as like the second, third SEC team into the playoffs. And mm-hmm. then they're going to run through it. Yep. Uh, next game, we brought this up earlier. Uh, Washington State beats Wisconsin at home. Um, I knew I should have picked this as my upset alert. I, Wisconsin came in as, I think it was six-point favorites. Uh, Washington State obviously upset them on the road last year. Now they get them at home. Uh, Wisconsin, you can tell, is still kind of trying to work through ushering in this whole new identity, this whole new team with a new head coach. Um, the, the biggest and most surprising thing to me coming out of this game uh, was Wisconsin was held under 100 rushing yards. I can't remember the last time I heard that statistic. Uh, that's just an unheard of number. Washington State, I think, is putting themselves into conversation of not just, I, I wouldn't quite yet say Pac-12 you know, contender, but they can absolutely spoil a lot of seasons this year. Uh, they're going to play Utah. That's going to be a Friday night game. Uh, we talked about this when we did our Pac-12 preview. Friday night Pac-12 games always end up doing weird shit. <laughs> and so God only knows what's going to happen in that game. I think that's in two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to have to wait and see. And last but not least, we've alluded to this game a few times now. Ole Miss beats Tulane on the road 37-20. to um, Great game. Back and forth. Again, I just wish Michael Pratt would have been able to play in this game for Tulane. I think, one, this game's a little – it says 37-20. It looks like it wasn't that close. Um Tulane was was going for it on every fourth down there at the end, trying to trying to close the gap. Uh, just ran out of steam against a, a surprisingly, I shouldn't say surprisingly, but a a competent Ole Miss team that played a full four quarters of football, uh, which is something I feel like we don't always see out of them. Um, and so here we are, Ole Miss uh, gets a huge road win. Uh, let's go ahead and look at our updated uh, pick standings. Um, I, I was 11-11 coming into this week. 
And here I am sitting at 20 of 15, so I'll take it. I'm five games back of Nick. Uh, four get back of you. Um, you had a pretty good week. I think you had the best week out of all of us. Yeah, you went nine and three. Nick and I both went eight and four. Uh, so great week of picks. Got, back got that early. Pricing times. Yeah, got that early season Pricing. rush shaking off. Uh, here we go. Uh, cash outstandings. You had a rough week. So. <laughs> um, you all I got to say is if anyone is betting on the stuff that I'm putting out here, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Nick, Nick is having a really good year so far. He's and he's not even betting. One. It's pissing yeah. me off. <laughs> you you got to start putting your money on his bets, and then maybe no, because then it'll lose. I did that yeah. last year. I think he started out hot last season. In the first week, I betted it lost. Yeah, um, and I'm sitting there at four and three. I'm, I'm taking that one and one every week. I'll gladly take that. Um, mm-hmm. Make sure you guys check us out Saturday morning, and we will go over all this uh, for week three uh, and get you guys ready for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's go ahead and get you ready for week three as we're talking about it. There's four games we're going to look at happening on Thursday and Friday. Uh, I think it's a pretty good slate. I, other people were talking before, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a quiet week. It's, I think there's a lot of great matchups, you know, throughout the entire week. We're going to talk about these four on Saturday. I think we have 14 different games we're going to be picking from. I, I think it's a loaded slate, but, I mean, I know you guys don't get the hype around the group of George five likes games. George likes Division Two football. I do. Um, <laughs> all football is good football. Uh, but the first game we're going to look at is Navy at Memphis. This will be the Thursday game on ESPN, 7.30 kicking off. Nick is going to go with Memphis at home. Slade, who do you got in this one? Yeah, I'm going with Memphis as well. I haven't seen really anything out of Navy, and so I think that it's going to be – it's it's basically Memphis's game to lose. I mean, you either go out there and score zero points or you put up 20 and, and get the win. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Uh, I'm going to take Memphis in this. Uh, Memphis needs to prove that they they are trying to compete in the American this year. I think they're an afterthought in a lot of people's minds. I think they want to go out there and prove it wrong. Uh, Navy, again, like you said, is, they did not look good against Notre Dame. Uh, they looked okay this past week uh, in their first game since that Notre Dame game. Uh, but if Memphis wants to prove that they're ready to compete in the American, they need to have a big first game, uh, and that's going to come against Navy. So I'm going to take Memphis at home. Uh, next game is a rivalry game being renewed. We have Virginia going to Maryland. Uh, this will be Friday night at 7 p.m. Fun fact, I actually went to this game uh, in 2013. I think it's the last time they played this. Um, but it was, so we, uh, Friday night, 7 p.m. on FS1. Nick is going to go with Maryland at home. Slade, who do you got in this? Yeah, I went with Maryland as well. I think that, I think at the beginning of the season, we kind of talked about it and them being kind of that middle tier team that could kind of challenge some of the, the uh, upper echelon teams in the big 10 so i think that they're able to get this win yeah i'm gonna go with maryland i now i will say they played charlotte this past week charlotte was hanging with them i think they're actually leading you know for a decent amount of the first half um i was like damn maybe maybe maryland isn't really that good uh second half came around and they, they kind of flicked that switch they pulled away from charlotte they looked much better uh so i mean i think this is an, another tune-up game I, that's that's a little disrespectful um, but Virginia did look very, very good uh, against James Madison this past week. I think that was an emotional performance, though. Um, I think they're going to go on the road. Uh, Tugavailoa is just going to open up the offense. And I think uh, Maryland's going to pull away. How how did uh, Virginia end that game again? Uh, they, uh, not, not so well. it got delayed, and they were up. Yeah. I think big, like a uh, score. I think it was like seven or ten points that they were up. 
and then James Madison somehow stormed back to win by one. I got the notes here. Um, 35-24 with uh, nine minutes left. Sorry, 11, 11, 11 points here. Yeah, with nine minutes left. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to take Maryland in this one. Next game we got is Army traveling to UTSA. Uh, this will be Friday night as well, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Nick is going to go with UTSA. Who do you got in this one, Slade? Yeah, I'm not trying to kind of stick the path with this. Uh, I'm going to go opposite. I'm just going to go with Army. I think that uh, they're going to be able to kind of get things moving this week and kind of surprise UTSA, in my opinion. Uh, I'm going to go with UTSA, and I'm honestly a little undecided on this, but just because of what our Army does with the ball. They, they like to run the clock out, especially with these new clock rules. And UTSA has not looked good on offense uh, you know, there was a lot of expectations around them. Frank Harris was coming back at quarterback. They did lose their offensive coordinator. I didn't think it was going to affect them this much, but it clearly has. Um, they lost a, a very close game against Houston, and then they struggled this past week as well, but they were able to pull out the win. Um, but I think the, the longer the season goes on, Frank Harris is going to get that offense rolling and clicking. Uh, so I'm going to take UTSA at home against Army. Uh, the fourth and final game we're going to look at is uh, Utah State traveling to Air Force. Uh, both service academies are playing this week uh, on Friday. Or all three service academies are playing Thursday and Friday. Uh, so this will be Friday night, 8 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Nick is going to go with Air Force at home. Slade, who do you got in this one? Again, to try and go against, I have Air Force winning their conference this season, but I'm going to go with Utah State for the upset. Uh, I'm going to go with Air Force. Uh, I think, uh, again, they, they will compete for the, the Mountain West. They might have even bumped themselves up to the number two spot just with how rough uh, Boise State has looked to start the year here. Um, Utah State didn't really impress me against Iowa, uh, and I'm not having huge high expectations for them. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to go with Air Force to open up their conference season uh, with a win. Uh, last thing we're going to look at is uh, – our top five draft, uh, we're going to go over uh, college football stadiums, uh, the, the stadiums that we think are must-see you know, before you die, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Uh, but these are the top fives that you need to you need to go see before you leave this world. <laughs> um, Slade, I'll let you go. You got first. it first. You go first. You go first. Okay. Um, I'm going to put this at number one just because I've been here. Uh, and I, I think it's uh, it's an amazing stadium, and not just because of who plays there, uh, but its capacity as well, its location, the surroundings to it. Um, number one, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Well, I did not see that one being your first one. Uh, for my number one, I'm going to go with Beaver Stadium. With, I was say, if you pick anything other than that, I'm, I'm going to be with, with with in parentheses the whiteout. Uh, yeah. I think that of any of the games you can go to there, that's definitely the one that everyone would would need to go to. Yeah. Um, my number two, I'm going to stay in the Big Ten. I'm going to go with the Big House, um, the largest college football stadium. Not sorry, the largest stadium in the world. I do believe. Um, I would love to go see a game there. Uh, so I'm going to put Michigan at number three. I'm going with Enter Sandman, the environment. Two, sorry. sorry, sorry. I'm going to uh, Enter Sandman for my number two. I thought that this was going to be your number one, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I, I think that it's 
just crazy that the stadium hasn't crumbled to pieces yet with them doing that on a, on a routine basis. I, so I've, I've been to Lane Stadium. I went to a night mm-hmm. game there. It, it was definitely on my list. It was going to be my number three pick. Um, a lot of people have talked about, like, you know, you can feel the, the building shaking, the stadium shaking. And I thought I had been in environments like that when that first little chord hits for Enter Sandman and everybody starts jumping. I vividly remember like feeling everything just start shaking and I, I was like oh shit like, this is how i die like i'm i'm gonna die enter Sandman's blaring and people are just jumping all around me but that was absolutely by far and away one of the coolest experiences of my life we're trying to go there in october i'm excited for you guys to see an experience it's gonna be an afternoon game but i still think it's gonna be wild mm-hmm. um I, I i'm excited for that um number three i'm gonna go with texas um, I think just the, the fan base that's there alone would make that game incredible to watch. Um, and the size of it as well, I think boosted. Um, so I'm gonna go with Texas at number three. Number three, I'm going with uh, I'm gonna go with USC in the Rose Bowl state. I, I think that it's UCLA. Oh, sorry, UCLA. My bad, my bad. UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Um, I, I just think it's really cool that. I mean, a lot of the teams will never get to play at that stadium, and they get it as their home stadium. I mean, they're unable to fill even a quarter of it, but <laughs> it's it's a really cool monumental stadium for me. Yeah. I got two, and I can't decide which one I'll put at number four. All right, number four, I'm going to put Ohio State. Um, so I've been here. I haven't been to a game, but I've been to the stadium. I got to walk around it and see it. The the architecture on the outside is is amazing, and I love it. Um, I would love to go see a game inside of it, uh, but I think that the historical significance behind it as well um, it adds a lot to it. So I'm going to put Ohio State Ohio Stadium at number four. I'm going to go with the Swamp in Florida at my number four. I think that obviously right now maybe maybe not the best time, but <laughs> I, I think that it would have been crazy to go to a game there when. Tebow and <laughs> the Pouncey brothers and these guys are playing there and just kind of running college football at the time. Yeah, uh, that that was that was another one. I I got three here for number five. Well, two for number five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think even with Florida not being as good, I still think the swamp would be a fun place to go to a game. Um, I mean, Florida fans seem to pack that thing out no matter what. They just leave early when their teams get blown out. Um, number five, I'm going to put Nebraska. Um, I mean, again, Nebraska fans, their, their sellout streak is a little, I would put an asterisk next to it, especially what happened last year. Uh, one of the boosters or whatever bought all the tickets for the rest of the season Mm -hmm. and then just resold them. So that way they could say, Hey, we sold all of our tickets. Regardless, um, Nebraska fans are a different breed. I should know. Um, I, I'm excited to get out there for a game soon, uh, and so I'm going to put Nebraska at number five. Uh, my last one, I don't think it's hard to miss this one, but I think going and watching Alabama at home, uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium, is a must-see football, especially if it's a 7 p.m. game. Uh, I just think it's, it's hard to not want to go to that stadium, especially because you know you're going to see some electric – 
the the other one I was debating on putting in here was LSU, but I feel like there's a difference between LSU day games and night games. I'm not saying you know it's it's a huge difference, but everybody talks about oh you need to go to a night game at LSU, whereas you know I feel like a lot of these other stadiums is you need to go see the stadium. Um, so yeah, that that would be the the other my honorable mention, I guess. I like it. I like it. Uh, so that'll do it for this week's episode. We thank you guys, as always, so much for checking us out. Uh, don't forget to join us for Out of the Tunnel on Saturday morning. Uh, we'll get you ready for week three, go over some headlines. Like we said, 14 games, our cash-out picks. Uh, so he's going to tell you what to not bet on. <laughs> uh, and then we'll give you upset alerts, all that fun stuff as well. So we hope to see you guys there. Uh, thank you, as always, and we will see you in the next video.